This is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hi, my name is Jason. And my name is Chris. And this is The Talking Dead, episode number 575, recorded Thursday, March 17th, 2022. Welcome to the program, everyone. 575 feels like a nice uh, milestone number on our way to 600. It's uh, it's a pretty good one for a nice St. Patrick's Day. Happy St. Patrick's Day, my friend. Thank you, sir. Thank you. It is St. Patrick's Day today, the 17th of March. Uh, I've barely observed it at all this year. Did you wear green? I did not. <laughs> I wore green. Oh, that's nice. You're not wearing green now, though, it looks like. No, I'm not wearing green now. Okay. I, I was wearing green. You took your green off. I took my green off. Okay. Well, that's great. Uh, you have stolen the thunder, Jason, of, of oh, a listener, no. I, I'm afraid, uh, because, of, of course, we're here today to do our feedback for the most recent episode of The Walking Dead. But before we get into the main feedback... I wanted to play this call from listener Deirdre. And it's actually two messages that she left back to back. So I spliced them together. So (laughs) you can tell me if you can hear where. (laughs) Okay. But here we go. Hey, how's it going, lads? Uh, My name is Deirdre. I'm calling you from Dublin in Ireland. First time, long, long, long time. Um, Enjoying these. I love you to pieces. Been listening to you for years and years. I just had, I've been listening to the last uh, episode you did there and you just touched on the subject of Halloween, you know, in terms of holidays and stuff and not being sure if it would translate outside of North America. Um, Halloween is actually an Irish holiday. It's been exported all around the world, particularly to North America, but it came from Ireland. Um, All Hallows' Eve, the last night before Samhain, which is not Samhain, it's Samhain, which is just the month of November. Um, so we would absolutely know everything about Halloween. Um, in fairness now, in Britain, I don't think they were, were as big into Halloween as we are, but they've pretty much caught up with us now. I've just realised, sorry, I'm catching up on the podcast, so I'm a few weeks behind. You may have already talked about this whole Halloween shenanigans. Um, so sorry about that. I'm actually calling you on another very famous Irish holiday that we've exported around the world. Today is St. Patrick's Day. So I'll use that as my excuse for I'm a little bit fuzzy on the old details, you know what I mean? Anyway, thanks again. Love the podcast. Um, I became a patron this year or the end of last year. I felt it was about bloody time. I gave you something back. Um, love you. Thanks again. Bye. There you go, Jason. Thank you so much, Deirdre, for that. She phoned in about Halloween on St. Patrick's Day. Oh, I love being corrected about that. I did not know that. I did not hear that. So uh, my ignorance is uh, paramount. And I apologize for it. Well, that's all right. Not everyone can know everything, including you. Uh, well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that, to say the least. <laughs> that's right. Uh, but I thought that was a, a fun call to play today. Thanks, Deirdre, for that. And happy St. Patrick's Day, everyone. I don't know if it's appropriate to call it St. Patty's Day like many people do, so I'm not going to do that. No. Well, you, yeah, like you just didn't. St. Patrick's Day. That's yeah. what it is. That's what it is. All right. Uh, Real quickly before our feedback. Also, I want to say that the uh, Rogue Element episode 12 of season 11 got 1.58 million viewers. So coming down again below uh, 1.6, which was our previous low record. But what are you going to do? I mean, 1.58 is what it is. 
the the world ebbs and flows, and uh, people are paying attention to other things. That's very true. Very true. All right. With all that out of the way, let's get into the actual feedback. Cool, cool, cool. Listener feedback. And we're going to kick it off here with a call from Cat. Take it away, Cat. Hi, guys. This is Cat in Nova Scotia. Longtime listener, first time caller. I have been inspired by the many other first time callers that you have received lately, and I thought I would give it a go. Wanted to share my feedback on episode 12 of season 11 of The Walking Dead. My opinion of this episode was very much like yours. It was a big old meh. I'm a little bit disappointed in that it didn't really feel like a traditional Walking Dead episode. It felt more like a soap opera drama show. A lot of relationship stuff, a lot of community banter. Um, There was no tension. There was no fear. When there were zombies, I was not scared for one minute that anything would happen to our intrepid heroes. Although, would it have killed Mercer to yell like, duck, when he instructed his soldiers to shoot the zombies? I think uh, that might have been a little bit safer, but anyhow, of course, everyone was okay. I found the scene between Eugene and Rosita on the bench when they were discussing his relationship woes. Um, I I found it kind of stuck out to me in a bad way because of the music that was used, the dramatic swelling of the music. It, It, again, it made me feel like this is not a Walking Dead episode. With so few episodes left, until the end of the entire series. I kind of hoped that every episode would pack a punch and, you know, high tension, edge of your seat. Um, But I think that is a little much to ask. Um, And I imagine that there will be a mixed bag of episodes between now and the end. Um, But overall, meh, I would say. And I just wanted to add a side note, uh, your discussion uh, the other week about backpack, knapsack, um, and what these things are called in various areas. I will share that although I grew up in Ontario where we called the things that you carry your school belongings in knapsacks or backpacks, here in Nova Scotia, I have learned that they are called kit bags which is uh, something I'd never heard before. Anyway, thanks so much for your podcast. Love you guys. Look forward to it every week and can't wait to hear what this week's feedback episode brings. Bye for now. Excellent. Thank you, Kat. So first off, uh, thank you for the backpack terminology clarification. Always good to hear about uh, those sorts of things. Follow-ups. I like kit bag. I usually say to Jasper when he gets home from school, get your kit off, Uh, which is you know, kind of a British way of saying it, but, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to teach him to, you know, phrase things slightly different than every one of his classmates. Right. What could possibly go wrong with that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. Kit, kit bag. I think she said my sister and her family used to live in New Brunswick. I wonder if they, what they call it there. I don't know. I'll have to ask her. Well, there's also rucksack. Yeah. In the military, we called it a rucksack. 
Okay. Well, there you go. There's all kinds of different names. Um, and also, thanks, Kat, for your, the first-time call. She said she was inspired by other first-time callers, so I love awesome. to hear that. But her main point, and what I wanted to talk about a little bit, is her sort of meh feeling on this episode and the question, Jason, of why can't all of the episodes leading to the end here, now that we are in the end game of this TV show, why can't they all pack a punch? Well, because if you accent everything, you accent nothing. <laughs> Did you set me up for that? I mean, not intentionally, but as I was saying it, I <laughs> I sort of realized what I was doing. <laughs> yeah. But um, here's the thing. Season 11 has gone sort of funny, I think, because we had the first block of eight episodes dealing with the Reapers, and it felt like this isn't leading towards a big finish. You know what I mean? Like it, I know those were written before the announcement was made that the, this would be the last season. So the writers weren't sort of working with that end in mind, but you could really feel it. It didn't feel like it was leading anywhere other than eh, another group of bad guys they have to deal with. Right. Yep. Now we're into the second uh, block of the season and these episodes were created knowing that the end was coming. And now that we're four in halfway through, it kind of also doesn't feel like it's leading towards a big end. But I also think that's kind of unfair to say because we don't know what they're leading towards and we'll only be able to judge it at the end. So yeah, I don't want to put, you know, get too down or anything like that on what we're doing here. And I do think it's also unfair to expect every episode to be a big, huge pack a punch like you know, slap you in the face kind of, oh my God, I can't believe what I'm watching sort of episode. Yeah. And endings are hard. Like yeah. if we know anything from television shows, uh, you know, crafting a, a an ending to a series that is uh, even somewhat beloved uh, can be a dangerous thing. Like mm -hmm. you, and you never know until you have some perspective on it. And perspective would take another couple of years at least. At least, So yeah. uh, we don't know what they're doing. We don't know what they're planning, but hopefully they're planning something good and hopefully they're not going to shit the bed like other prominent television shows that uh, really kind of crap them all over themselves uh, during the final season. Uh, so hopefully uh, hopefully they know what they're doing and they got some square heads on their shoulders. I, I do hope so. You know, it's funny. The, the idea, the whole idea that this show might have a bad ending, like has never really even crossed my mind. I mean, I guess it has in a way, but... I'm just so close to it and I'm, I'm so like, oh, you know, it's coming to the end. It's going to be great. I just kind of expect it to be at least good, you know, if not great or amazing. I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I sit here thinking about it and I'm like, I can't even imagine this being bad, <laughs> but I don't know why that is. I, it's strange. There's some really good shows that did some really bad last seasons. Yeah, it's true. Like, I hated the end of Dexter, which we may have talked about. I did not, you know, and that's probably the, an example of one that was divisive. Yeah, well, not uh, I for didn't, many I people. didn't mind it uh, all that much. I mean, there was some things in there that uh, didn't make a lot of sense, but overall, the ending I thought was okay. Mm. Uh, you know, Game of Thrones, a lot of people hated that. I didn't hate it as much as others, but I don't think it was great. No, it was just too short, and some things that were done were way out of character. Yeah. But that's, uh, you know, why, why make it short? I don't know. What's a show? Do you have a, do you have an example of a show that the ending you really didn't like? 
uh, the Sopranos uh, uh. at first. I understand it better now that I've seen the Sopranos like three or four times. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the uh, the final uh, the final episode, I, I was expecting uh, out of the Sopranos it was the same kind of thing as this show, right? Every every episode, knowing it was coming to an end, every episode would pack a punch, and fucking shit's going to go down, and people are going to die left, right, and center, and things are going to get all uh, you know bent out of shape, and they just didn't. Right. I do know the ending of The Sopranos, even though I've never watched the show. It's one of those things that it's hard to avoid in pop culture, you know? Breaking Bad was divisive. Uh, Uh, Some people loved it. Some people hated it. I guess. I liked that one. It was pretty good. Yeah. You know, again, in retrospect, it was was pretty good. I mean, Lost is another, of course, where most, many, many people did not like that one at all. But I thought it was okay the first time I watched it. And when I did the complete Lost rewatch this year and last year, I actually liked it more. Than I did the first time. I that the the final episode of the final season uh, always makes me cry. Yeah, I, I actually tear up. It's it's just it's so. And if we were ever going to get a spinoff show from Lost, I would want to see the Ben Hurley uh, years, <laughs> right where they were in charge of the island. Sure, that'd be great. That'd be great. That would be great. All right. Well, listen. Later on this fall. When The Walking Dead is ending and we're sitting here talking about the final episode, which again is something I I even have trouble processing at this point, but we're going to get there. Uh, Hopefully we're sitting here crying tears of joy and sadness and rage and everything all at the same time. Uh, Yeah. Because it was so great. Somehow I doubt it. I don't know what the... (laughs) Somehow I think that overall it's going to be meh and... Uh, the reason why is because of the, uh, the spinoffs that they've announced because you, and we've talked about this at length, uh, you know, just knowing that certain characters survive, which means that, uh, their fate is not unassured, uh, let's say. So it's going to, it's, it feels kind of meh already. Like we know what's going to happen to these characters. We know that they're going to go off and do the things. So there's other, you know, ancillary characters that we, we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what's going to happen to the, the various communities, but. Eh. Yeah. I just think that the fact that two things, the fact that they've announced various spinoffs means that like they know that this is in a way spoiling the main show or taking the tension away. So it must mean that they have something up their sleeve to, to pull it off now. A lot of credit. Well, I, they must, I mean, come on. Um, now the other thing I was going to say is that later on in this podcast, we have a call that kind of, uh, talks to that a little bit and I cut it out and I put it in the after hours. So stay tuned at the end of this show for a brief after hours segment about a potential idea for the finale of The Walking Dead and how it relates to spinoff shows and stuff like that. But it's in there because it's, you know, uh, speculative, spoilery sort of stuff. Okay, fair so, enough. So we'll get to that as we go. But for now, let's move on. All right. Next, we have a, uh, an email from Jim in Delaware. I got a little bit of a concern with the radio that they were talking on. It looked like a CB radio, and as a truck driver, CB radios with that little tiny antenna have a hard time getting a mile, let alone the distance that they were talking. I mean, even if it was a ham radio, that little antenna would not have given the signal signal strong enough to transmit, let alone receive. So a little bit of a nitpick with the radio there. Do you know anything about these kind of radios, Jason? 
I know they exist. Okay, so not really then, uh, and we have to take Jim at his word. Um, I know CB Radio has something called squelch, and I don't know what that is. That's right. I've seen the squelch knob on things. Yeah. <laughs> that's a funny Jim, word. Jim, what, is, what the heck does the squelch knob do? Yeah. Let, it, let us know. We are curious, but uh, I think it's one of those suspension of disbelief things. It's a radio. They yeah. talk. Hey, man, it's not nearly as bad as the friggin' walkie-talkies that everyone has on fear that they use as a crutch. So. Okay, so it's the same technology as uh, Fear of the Walking Dead. If you have something with an antenna, you have unlimited range. Yes, and battery power and all those things. Yeah, yeah okay, so that, that makes a lot of sense. All right, it's Walking Dead now, radio technology. Yeah, so uh, Jim, we need you to tell us what squelch is because there is no such thing as a, uh, a universal mechanism for looking up information. Uh, to find out uh, how things uh, work. If only there were. That's right. Yeah, I would. I would love to have some kind of uh, network of uh, uh, you know information. You know, an, an information net of some kind. Yeah, perfect. You should invent that. All right. Next up, there is an email from Tom on the internet, and Tom says, "I have been listening to you guys, especially Jason, talk about how useless the Commonwealth armor is." I don't believe the armor was ever meant to be military grade. The foam should be sufficient enough to keep walkers from biting, but this uh, this is why the butt pad is useful, and the uniform uh, looks lo and the uniform look between soldiers gives the impression of a military to the people. They may not be great, but I think they serve a purpose for now. Maybe one day they will be able to produce better armor, but for today, Nerf armor reigns supreme. <laughs> At least they don't have Nerf guns. Yeah, that's right. They, they'd be especially ineffective. But what do you think about that? It's more for show than for anything, Jason. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, look at uh, this. The same thing with stormtroopers, right? And their plastic armor, even though we've talked about the fact that that's high tech plastic. Right. Uh, <laughs> and this show, uh, the this universe that they live in, theater is very important. Mm -hmm. So the theater of this armor depicting a strong military presence is uh, is very important. So it works. It does so, yeah, that. It works. Okay, cool. Well, there you go. So even if the protection isn't great, it's the uh, it's the feeling that it invokes in in people. Yeah, much like helmets in uh, you know the you know old old military helmets that we used to wear. Yeah, uh, they do nothing. They just give you some kind of psychological advantage. Very good. All right, next we have an email from Jeffrey in Texas. Mercer did the wrestling move where you swing someone into the ropes, they bounce back to you, and you flip them over your back using your head. That's a great way to get a zombie bite right in your ass. So I'm glad the writers finally explained to us why he has the butt armor. There you go. I went back and watched the move. He does, like, flip a zombie over his back, and uh, if there's any chance of getting bit in the ass, you're going to need a butt plate. Yep. So, okay. so good explanation. butt plates are important. Thank you, Jeffrey. All right, next is Chris in the UK, and Chris writes, minor but interesting tidbit. The scene where Eugene and Stephanie, in quotes, encounters Max while getting ice cream wasn't footage from the previous episode, just from another angle. It was reshot for this episode, and if you compare the two scenes, Max's version plays out very slightly differently to how we saw it before. The rationale being that we saw Eugene's view of it the last time, but Max experienced it differently. Oh. Yeah, so I wanted to include this because it is an interesting point. I don't know why watching it, I didn't think I should go back and see like if this is different. But since Chris wrote in, I did just that. And the first time we saw this, Jason, was in episode five. It was called Out of the Ashes. 
And the note I made is that Max actually kind of looks a little bit happy, even cracks a tiny smile when Eugene talks to her in the original scene. Right. And in episode 12, Max doesn't smile at all and looks like she's about to say something before walking away in silence. Like her mouth opens a little bit and then she closes it and walks away. So very, very different interpretation. You know, when it's from Eugene's point of view, this woman looks happy and content and a little bit of a smile. And when it's from Max's point of view, she really wants to say something, but then she, you know, holds herself and, and uh, walks away. It, it is definitely interesting. And I, I'm glad that they sort of presented it like that. I forget who said it, but there's a, there's a quote that says, we don't see things how they are. We see things how we are. Right. It's a very good quote. I've never heard that before. Yeah, I don't know who said it. Anonymous, let's say. Or Einstein. I'm not sure which. (laughs) You can attribute a lot of shit to Einstein. Oh, yeah. Smart guy, that Einstein. Or Yogi Berra. It could have been Yogi Berra. Yogi Berra, the baseball player? The baseball player, yeah. He said uh, he was describing, uh, you know, he he said uh, uh, 90% of baseball is 50% mental. <laughs> or was it 50% of baseball is 90% mental? That's what he said. And okay. he said, uh, he was describing how to get to, uh, get to a cabin that he had. Uh-huh. He said, okay, you take the road. And then when you get to the fork in the road, take it. Take it. Perfect. It was a bit of a joke because you could go either way. Of course. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> and he is different than Yogi Bear, the bear. That's correct. Okay. Yogi Bear uh, likes picnic basket- baskets. He has a, a friend named Cindy mm-hmm. and a friend named Boo Boo. All right. And Yogi Berra is a baseball player that had some interesting things to say. That is correct. Look up Yogi Berra quotes. There's some good ones. Okay. I'll do that later. All right. Next, we have an email from Ben on the internet. I write for the first time uh, because I'm worried about Rosita. During her talk with Eugene, she is as peaceful and beautiful as ever, even with a scar on her face. She says she is happy and even excited about the future. So that has my nerves on edge for now, uh, for any tiny scene or scenario where she will or may be involved, uh, re- involved in from now until the final credits. <laughs> right. So Ben is just trying to say, she seems happy. She seems content. And you know what happens to happy and content people, Jason? Yeah. She's only got two weeks till retirement. Yeah, exactly. And she's going to retire on her boat. Right. With her family. And that's not a good sign. That's not good. Yeah. Having two weeks to retirement is not a good thing. It's just one, you know, one last mission before retirement that, that could, that'll go fine. Right. Yeah. Except that, uh, most people uh, that retire at some point have had two weeks before they retire and they're just fine. Yeah. But they don't live in the world of TV and movies. Those are the people that don't make it that two weeks. Yeah. Very few people live in the world of TV and movies. Yeah, it's true. In my experience. Anyways, I also like that Ben writes in for the first time because he's worried about Rosita. That's great. I I actually love that. You know, I, now that he's mentioned it, I'm a little bit worried about Rosita too. So thanks, Ben. Yeah. Don't, uh, don't plan for the future if you're, if you're, (laughs) if you're on TV. Yeah, no, it's a terrible idea. But uh, honestly, uh, sincerely, thank you, Ben, for for writing in. It's great. All righty. Keeping moving right along here. Nathan in Sydney writes, I respect Maggie's decision to decline the Commonwealth's offer. Without a clear understanding of what the Commonwealth's motives are, it's a bit of a risk becoming so heavily tied up with them. At the end of the day, you have to trust your gut uh, with decisions like this. If it doesn't feel right, there's usually a good reason, even if it's not obvious at first. 
Do, yep. you, think, do you think that's enough to not go with the Commonwealth, Mr. Miles? Uh, I don't know. Trusting your gut is always iffy. Well, right? but a lot of people, I think a lot of people like make their way through life doing that. They do. You know? But, you know, are they usually right? Hmm. Good question. I don't know. Yeah. Do you think there's any studies out there on uh, the effective, effectiveness of decision making through trusting your gut? <laughs> well, decision making is uh, very much, uh, you know, reasons for decisions are very much an illusion. Uh, your mind, you, your mind is kind of, uh, there's studies that have been done where people, uh, they've tested their decisions. Uh, and usually what happens is uh, your mind makes a decision and then your conscious mind tries to justify it. And that's how you make a decision. It's not the other way around, justifying the decision and coming to it with reason and understanding. It's you've made a decision. Now let's try and justify it. Interesting. And your brain does that all at once. So uh, our brains are messed up and uh, we really don't have any control over our decision making. We just kind of do it and then we figure out why afterwards. Our brains are messed up and amazing all at the same time. There's a book I read called Kluge, which is just, uh, you know, it's based on our, our minds are really just this kind of kludge of messed up functionality. Uh, we have a, 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 an absolutely amazing reasoning system built on a incredibly shitty memory. Right. Like it's, and we, and we overcompensate for it. If you need to remember to bring something uh, to work the next day, do you just remember it? No, no of course not. you put it by the fucking door because you know that you're going to forget. So yeah. you, oh, you out reason your crappy memory. Well, We're not built to have uh, a strong memory. Even our memories are fucked up because uh, we will overwrite them with whatever the hell we want, given enough time. Well, yeah, that's right. You can't even rely on your own memory. Kluge? Kluge, yeah. Well, now I need someone to explain to me squelch and kluge. Okay. Well, kluge <laughs> is uh, kind of just uh, something that's kluged together. Okay. You know, bo bodge, like a bodger. Of course. Another British term. There you go. Let's just add it to the list. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. But I mean, getting back to Maggie's decision. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you need to have all the information for something like this. And there can be no, uh, here's our offer from the Commonwealth. And it's when, when Lance was sitting there talking to her on the steps of Hilltop, he was kind of explaining what he thought it could be like, not what it would be like or the yep. details of the offer, right? And that's, uh, there's a difference there. And I think that's why Maggie is like, no, I don't think so because I don't really know you guys. And I don't know if what you're saying is true at all. So you can understand why, and this is what Nathan says, why if she doesn't really get that feeling, then there's risk and she's going to walk away. That's why you sell the sizzle, not the steak. Sell the sizzle. And then that's what he's trying to do, right? Yeah. These yeah. are the benefits that could happen. Imagine, imagine a world where you could go to university or your son could go to university or uh, you re could retire down the coast or go on a boat ride mm -hmm. to uh, a petting zoo or a theme park. You know, that world, we could have that back if we all just banded together and, uh, you know, went underneath this uh, single oppressive umbrella. Woulda, shoulda, coulda. Those are all words that <laughs> she's wary of. Yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. Next we have a call from Jason, not me. So this is the one that I cut off at the end because of something he talks about that I want to save for the after hours. So uh, sure, sure, sure. here we go with Jason, the first part of his call. 
What up, Chris and Jason? This is Jason from Los Angeles. Just finished watching the latest episode and I had some thoughts. So, Maggie, uh, I mean, obviously we knew she wasn't going to go with the plan, the Commonwealth plan. And it was interesting to see how each person talked to her. Like, he, she would have her moments with Pamela Milton. It would start making sense until it didn't. Like, Pamela would say one thing that sort of triggered that, like, class society that she didn't like. And then same thing with, uh, what's his name? Better Call Saul Guy. He, he would talk to her. She was getting convinced. Yeah, it sounds like a beautiful thing. And then he would say something like, and then you have 50,000 people working for you. And she would be like, nope, that's where I get off. And so it was, I liked seeing that. But I think my favorite scene of the whole episode was at the end when she's like, yeah, no, nah, I'm not going to take your deal. I mean, Maggie essentially is a, at this point, she's like a doomsday prepper living off the land. Like, yeah, man, screw those cities, man. We're living off the grid out here. And she thinks, you know, did I make the right decision? Did I not? And then here comes, I think her name is Diane and two big old burly dudes. Like those are like good Walker fighter guys. And they're like, Hey, yeah, uh, we're cool with you. We love you and all. We're glad you want to live off the land. But you know what? I'm trying to go to the movies and eat ice cream. I'm out. I love that. I thought that was hilarious. Like she's like, yeah, yeah, Maggie, we love you. Peace. We are out of here. So that's it for Jason's call for now. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's kind of reiterating the same things. Like she doesn't know all the deals and that, but there are things about the Commonwealth that are tempting going to the movies and eating ice cream. You know, you're not doing that at Hilltop. Not doing that now. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> you and I need to go see a movie together again. Go to see a movie is fine. I, I can't eat ice cream. I won't eat ice cream in, uh, anytime soon, but uh, going to a movie, maybe. All right. Well, <laughs> I mean, within the world of the show, it does seem like a, a pretty difficult thing to go at, go at the way Maggie wants to, especially because all the places they used to live are destroyed. But even if they weren't, you know, you're always going to be struggling for supplies and so on. So I can see why the Commonwealth is tempting. But Maggie see, maybe sees it for what it is and isn't going to, you know, fall for their charms. Yeah. And Jason mentioned better Saul, call Saul guy. What does that mean? Oh, he's talking about Lance, I think. Uh, I don't know if that he was on better call Saul, that actor, or was he? Or is he just thinking he kind of looks like him? Um, I, I should mention that he's not the only person to bring that up. I didn't include it on the podcast, but regular listener Matt in Lindenwald, New Jersey, actually mentioned it as well. Um and since Jason mentioned it, sorry, Matt, you were cut this week, but, uh, uh, so he's not, the, anyways, there's more than one reference to that guy being better call Saul guy. I don't know if that means he was on the show or just looks like him. Uh, well, Lance Hornsby. So Josh Hamilton, I'm going to look him up, but, uh, yeah, that's a, a little bit, uh, odd. Yeah, for sure. That out. Well, if you're looking that up, let's, uh, move on to our next call. Which funny, actually, you just introduced Jason, and now I'm going to introduce Chris with a call. Awesome. <laughs> here we go. Hey, guys. How you guys doing? This is Chris from down here in sunny San Diego, California. You know, I just finished watching the most recent episode of The Walking Dead today, being Monday. I was recording on my DVR. But anyways, so I was watching the show, and I was like, what is up with uh, this uh, Hornsby character? 
he's so shady. I can't stand the guy, but uh, he was trying to get all the communities on board with his grand master plan. I still quite haven't figured out exactly what it is. Maybe I missed it. I don't know. And then it got me thinking about how, like, he was trying to pitch to Maggie. He's like, what if your uh, son can go to college or you can do this thing or all these other things? He kind of described the world as it used to be. Like, imagine if today with your son, if we can have it like it used to be. And she's scratching your head like, like, do we really want to go back there? Like, a lot of these people, if you think about it, they may have had really crappy jobs and their lives may have sucked in the old world. But here in the new world, in the Walking Dead universe, they actually have um, – I mean, look at Maggie. She's the leader of a community. I mean, look at Negan where he traveled from like – what was he, a crappy uh, high school or, bas- or a PE coach or something? And then now he's like – well, he was, you know, his great leader and all his power. Uh, people like that, they may not want to go back to the way things were before, especially when you have this whole monarchy of higher – uh, like, you know, people like the uh, governor or people that have like super high power over everybody else. And we're all just a bunch of peasants down below. I think she kind of sees that. And she's like, I don't know if I want to go back to that uh, lifestyle. So she's like, I don't know. So, but that's my thoughts. I still can't figure out this whole um, Hornsby. What's this whole plan? Uh, I don't know what they need uh, all these other communities for, unless they're trying to build some massive empire. Maybe there's a bigger community out there beyond the uh, beyond the world that they're trying to gear up on soldiers up for that could be it too i have no idea but uh i love you guys show keep doing the fantastic work and i can't wait to hear your episode great thanks chris uh what do you think jason do you think in, there's an element to this that people like maggie actually don't want to revert the world back to the way it was because for some reason even though it's the zombie apocalypse they're in a better position now yeah, it could be. I mean, uh, survival's tough, but uh, maybe it's more enjoyable than the uh, than the survival is tough in the fucking stupid society that was. Yeah, I just think that's a hard sell, though. You know, I mean, at least in the pre-apocalypse society, you know, you weren't running from monsters, <laughs> the same kind of monsters. You you presumably had food and shelter and things like that. Uh, I know you, we work for those things, of course, but zombies trade all that for zombies. It seems like a hard sell, but on the other hand, some people have made out better for themselves. If I was going to pick one, I think Chris's example of Negan is the one, right? Like we know basically we saw a bunch of Negan's backstory or, or what led up to, or what was going on in his life just before the zombie apocalypse. And at least while he was with the saviors leading the saviors from his perspective, I think he was in a much better position than he was in his previous life. Yep. You know what I mean? Um, Other people came from whatever they came from into sort of leadership roles. You know, Maggie lived on a farm with her family and probably had a pretty quiet, satisfying life. I, I don't know, but now she's trying to survive as the leader of a community. Is that what she wants? It's hard to say. Uh, for some people, the struggle is the reward. I guess so. Yeah, I guess so. But I mean, still struggling is one thing. Struggling against flesh eating monsters. It's a hard sell. It is. <laughs> I would it think. Is. But anyways, it's an interesting uh, thing to think about a little bit uh, because there are definitely characters here that would probably not want to go back to the way 
things are. And uh, Daryl might be another one, you know? Yeah, yeah, could be. You know, for sure. Anyways, great call, Chris. Thank you for that. All right, next we have an email from Grace in Perth, Western Australia. Pamela just likes being the big fish in the pond and living the good life in the Commonwealth by leeching off of the backs of regular hard- hardworking folks. I used to think she was in denial, but I guess it's the same old thing using the guise of ideology to gain land. To be honest, I think even Pamela will be used, be used by Lance as a sacrifice. I hope Maggie and Daryl bring Lance down, though, with the help of Mercer. What a showdown. Perhaps Lance was a PA of Pamela's in politics before the apocalypse and never satisfied uh, to, and was never satisfied to being second. Yeah. So Pamela Milton seems like another one who might actually prefer life now. But again, it's a difficult comparison because she is in many ways still living the same life she had before. She doesn't seem to need anything. She's very comfortable has supplies, food, shelter, all that stuff. Um, and, and, and maybe probably is in a position of greater power now than she was before. Right. Yep. So she's another good example of someone who could not want to go back or, you know, under her, if you talk to her, she's saying, we're trying to rebuild that, but you know, rebuild it with me at the center of it all. (laughs) Right. You know, so yeah. it's, that's a little bit different. <laughs> it is a little bit different, but some people want to be in the center of it all. I absolutely do not want to be the center of it all. No, I get it. Neither do I usually. All righty. Let's continue on with a call from Amy. Hey guys, how you doing? Love the podcast. This is Amy calling from Northern Virginia. I had a couple of comments um, about the latest episode. First off, when Lance was talking about rebuilding something, I thought he was talking about rebuilding society and rebuilding it, I'm sure, in some creepy, scary way because I get real sinister vibes from that guy. Secondly, um, about Tommy or Tommy, when you were talking about um, the surgeon, Tommy, Tommy, how he seems so uncomfortable and so nervous now that he is a surgeon and no longer a baker. I think it has something to do with the Commonwealth blackmailing him in that such as if he doesn't do the surgery, if he doesn't become a doctor, um, something bad would happen to his sister. They're holding his sister's um, well-being hostage. I forget her name. Um, but that's why I, he, I assume he is now doing the surgery and not doing the baking that he wanted to do so badly. And lastly, I have to say that I, too, am shocked, very shocked that Jason was not shocked by the stormtroopers firing at those zombies with all those civilians right in the line of fire. I saw that scene and I thought for sure that Jason was going to have a lot more to say about that. Anyways, I love listening to you. Keep up the great work. Thanks a lot. Bye. Great. Thanks, Amy. So uh, just to go through each one of those, Lance rebuilding, we were kind of wondering what he was referring to exactly when he mentioned that in the episode. And I guess it does make sense that him and Pamela are trying to rebuild society a little bit. I just, for some reason, thought it was something a little bit more smaller scale at the time when he mentioned it, some specific plan he had rather than their overall, like, let's bring the world back to the way it was. Right. Who knows what his ultimate plan is? Yeah, I don't know. Um, And then Tommy being blackmailed or being told, 
you have to be a doctor and do surgery and stuff like that, or we're going to harm your family, which is Yumiko, his sister. That makes sense too. Yeah. Well, it's not a great way to motivate people, but I guess it would work in a pinch. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Definitely not great. But if that's what's going on, um, it would certainly explain his level of unrest and discomfort, right? No one likes being blackmailed. Yeah, if you don't want to be a surgeon, there's a good way to not be a surgeon, and that's just not be a good surgeon. Be a bad surgeon. <laughs> be a bad surgeon. Uh, shaky hands, drinking all the time, showing up drunk, having to reschedule surgeries because you're drunk. This is, you know, there's a theme here. Uh, so y- you can, and you can do it in a way without hurting people too, right? Be flaky. Don't show up when the surgery is supposed to start. Where Where's Tommy? I don't know. Oh, he's baking a cake. I get it. Again. <laughs> Again. Yeah, but the you thing know? is, if they're saying we're going to we're gonna do something to Yumiko if you don't perform, like lack of performance, being a bad surgeon is just as bad as not, as refusing to do it. So like he has to do it if he wants to keep his sister safe. That's true. You know what I mean? So he can be a bad surgeon all he wants, but if they have this over him, which they do, and again, we don't know this for sure, but- Presumably, it might be the case. Uh, he can, he's got to try to be a good surgeon, which makes it even more stressful, probably, for him. It does. It's still a bad idea to blackmail your surgeon into being a surgeon sure. because, you know, what do you want? Do you want a, uh, a happy, competent surgeon or do you want a surly surgeon that really doesn't want to be there at all? Yeah. You know, what's, uh, you know, it depends on what you're, you're going for. If you're going for having a surgeon, and using that as a selling tool to get other communities to come on, that's one thing. Having a surgeon in order to competently uh, perform surgeries on your citizens, uh, that's another thing. So oh, if, totally. if they just want to have a label, successfully have a surgeon and have that checked and put uh, checked off on your list and put in your brochure, then you know blackmailing your surgeon to be a surgeon is fine. Of course. And this all falls apart. The second that someone in power like Pamela Milton needs surgery. Yeah. Because then you, your surgeon who you've been blackmailing for all this time has to operate on you and you don't know what you're going to get. Right? No, that's a good point. So that's probably one of the biggest reasons to uh, have a happy, content surgeon and not a surly one that's going to not do his job very well. Yeah. So if you're going to have a surgeon, have a happy surgeon. It's good advice. Good advice. Have a, have a well-paid, happy surgeon. Like seriously, pay pay the surgeons as much as uh, you know. Normally, I'm not uh, not so overboard on paying uh, certain people a lot of money in order to do their jobs. But surgeons are fine. You know, give them what you want them happy. You want them content. You want them to uh, have a god complex. You know, you have people's <laughs> lives in your hands. That's fine. It's all good. You know, if you're a bit of a sociopath, I guess we can live with that too. Just as long as you're a good surgeon, excellent. Very good. A good, happy, content surgeon who's doing a, a bang up job. Uh, I guess we'll have to sacrifice the other stuff. Right. <laughs> Bottom line, happy surgeon. Happy surgeon is a good surgeon. All right. Next, we have a call from Tallahassee's twin brother. Hello, Chris and Jason and Talking Deadites everywhere. I thought I'd try a voice message for a change. Aren't you the lucky ones? Anyway, the Commonwealth Empire thread. It's a little on the nose. 
you know, with the travelling caravan. Does Pamela, what's her trousers, need to dress up like a Victorian hunter on a safari? And then there's the whole tent aesthetic and the autocracy chat. It's, it's, it's all very on the nose. Was a road trip really necessary? Wouldn't a visit from ambassadors from the three communities to the Commonwealth have been a better story and a more effective sales pitch from the Commonwealth? Um, you know, you get to show the Commonwealth in all its glory. Um, and you'd also get the, the perspective of an outsider, you know, coming inside the walls to see, you know, to give their perspective of, or to get their perspective of life for, a, for an ex-teammate inside those invisible Commonwealth walls. Anyway, keep up the good work, loving the show. And uh, just wondering if you saw the newspaper article recently about a meteor half the size of a giraffe hitting Iceland. Could this be carrying the zombie virus? Kind regards, Tallahassee's twin brother. Well, let's hope not, Tallahassee. Uh, he wrote in his email when he sent that in that uh, why use a giraffe as well, your it, measurement? Well, they, they, you know, it's uh, uh, we have a friend that is pregnant at the moment and uh, she keeps talking but usually it's fruit right you say that the uh the baby is the size of a pomegranate or uh, now it's the size of an orange but uh she consistently uses various animals like it's the size of a squirrel mm -hmm. you know that's a that's a pretty big baby uh so you know the size of a giraffe I, i'm not sure exactly uh what they were thinking usually at that point you start looking at cars right and trucks yeah uh, it's the size of a bus is that half the size of a giraffe is it the size of a short bus is that half the size of a giraffe? I don't know. You know, it is a bit odd to use the the term size of a giraffe. I personally have an idea of what a giraffe size is, but I've never seen one in person. Right? What? You've so, never seen a real giraffe? Why would I have seen a real the giraffe? The zoo. They have them at the Toronto Zoo. You've been there. I, I've been there once, but I didn't see any giraffes. We saw a couple of pandas and then a sleeping lion. And an old monkey, <laughs> you know they went a rhinoceros. They got a lot more animals than that. <laughs> I have I have almost zero interest in going to zoos. I know I've but been you to a, a couple of zoos in my in, and I live really close. It's only like friggin' ten twelve minutes away from us. I know that. I know. I have almost zero interest in going. You have a five year old son though who might get something out of it. Well, that's why I went, but he was a baby at the time and slept through most of it. Right. But, so you're going to uh, go again someday. I'm sure yes. you will. I've been to the zoo with the kids at least three times in their life and it's good. And they have giraffes. So you can go see a real giraffe. All right. And then I can try and imagine what half that size is in meteor. Is it, was it long and thin? Yeah. You know, was that, was it the shape of the meteor that, uh, that kind of informed the size comparison? That's the tricky thing about the giraffe, right? Because it's such an oddly shaped animal. Like is, are you talking about half the body size? Cause that's where most of the bulk of a giraffe is, or are you just half the length? Cause most of it's neck, but it's weird. <laughs> that's the size, you know, is half the size of a giraffe in like Weight, length. Maybe. Uh, is that the size of a dump truck? No, giraffes are big, but dump well, truck. You're, you're talking about length, right? So if a giraffe yeah. is uh, 17 feet tall, 
uh, you know, half that is, well, okay, let's make a round number, 18 feet so I can go with nine. Uh So, you know, nine feet is, uh, you know, an SUV, right? Sure. So maybe the size of an SUV would be better if it's that (laughs) kind of comparison. But if it's long and thin, uh, usually meteors that uh, are that shape don't survive atmospheric entry all that well. Because those pieces tend to break off. Of course, right? yeah. Whatever hits the ground is usually round. Yeah, it's round. I uh, anyways, think. I just Googled, and you're you're pretty close. The average height of a full-grown male giraffe is 16 and a half to 19 and a half feet. Okay, so yeah, it's uh, nine feet long. Maybe we should find out what size of that meteorite was. So yes, I did hear that a <laughs> meteor uh, or meteorite now Hit the uh, hit the earth that was uh, half the size of a giraffe in Iceland. Uh, I have a hard time believing anything survived that, uh, you know, bacteria or otherwise. Right. But if something did, it's going to cause the zombie apocalypse. So watch out, Iceland. Well, here's the thing. We get hit by shit all the time. Usually it's in the ocean. Right. Right. So the fact that it hit land is noteworthy, but there's stuff slamming into the earth, like left, right, and center. You've got a Volkswagen here, a Volkswagen there hitting the earth every couple of days. Like it's not that big a deal. That big every couple of days? Really? I don't know. I I'm, really now don't. Now I'm afraid I'm to guessing. just walk around. Yeah. You could get hit by a meteor. Like yeah. it's, it, at some point it's going to happen, right? Uh, we're going to get whacked by something the size of a basketball in the middle of a major metropolitan area. It, you know, the odds are the earth is pretty goddamn big. Like really, there's a lot of open space out there, yeah. uh, mostly ocean. Yeah. So that's why we get hit in the ocean all the time. Right. <laughs> Nothing like a hit to the ocean. Yeah. But uh, uh, at some point, you know, the size, something that's the, the half the size of a rhinoceros is going to whack into the, uh, whack into Central Park and ooh. then there's going to be some news. Yeah, there sure will be. Well, that was a lot. I didn't think the giraffe would go that far. What about Tallahassee's uh, idea that it would have been just overall better in this episode if we had representatives from the three communities come to the Commonwealth instead of the Commonwealth send people out to the communities because they can then show off the Commonwealth a little bit. Yeah, but you have to entice them to do that. Like a small community is not going to just send a representative. Except that half them are there already. That's the, the thing, right? Like everybody from Alexandria is there. <laughs> That's true, but you can't guarantee it. Right? It's like, oh, come to our town. It's going to be great. No. Hmm. Nope. Don't well, want to. <laughs> then we kidnap you to promote our commonwealth. Yeah, so, that's no, not going to work. I think a better way to uh, to sell things is to show up at their door. You know, uh, you, you know, if you want to buy something, uh, they don't uh, they don't come to your house. Well, I guess they do well, sometimes. Door to door salesmen's back in the day. Yeah. Back in the day. Uh, you know, if you are selling something to a company, you go to their offices to talk to them about it, right? You don't make them come to yours. Well, yeah, I guess so. I don't Except know. Retail is all ass backwards then, I guess. Yeah. You go I, to a retail store to buy stuff? That's horse shit. Well, I mean, we used to. Now it's all just on Amazon. <laughs> I went to Toys R Us for the first time in two years today. Oh, that was exciting. For Lego? Well, no, just as a, as a March break family outing. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, man, you need to go to the zoo before you go to more Toys R Us as a family. We were outing. thinking about going to the zoo earlier this week, but uh, Jasper had a cold and they said uh, they wanted to go through the uh, 
the checklist of illnesses and he wouldn't have passed. So yeah, we yeah. decided not to go, but he was feeling better today and uh, we went in. and Wait until the weather's a little nicer too. Uh, the zoo is mostly an outdoor experience, so... So we're, we'll, we will do that. Today's outing was Toys R Us, which was very exciting for him. He I'm hadn't sure. been there in a long time. I'm sure it was. Yeah. So yeah, he's like, uh, when I, I'm going to pick out a toy. And then as soon as he walked in, he's like, I want that. It's like, well, just wait. There's other stuff to look at. Oh, I want that. It's like, okay, wait. <laughs> Eight, Let's put it on our list. Six hours later. <laughs> six hours later. Yeah. I want that. Okay. Yeah. You can have that. Oh my gosh. All right. Well, thank you, Tallahassee, for that. What's next? Uh, am I next? You are next. All right. We have a call and it is from Tiffany. Hello, my Canadian friends. This is Tiffany from Durham. It's my first time calling in, but y'all have received millions of emails. I wanted to talk about the latest episode, The Lucky Ones. I had a few holy crap moments. Uh, my first one is the closing choices. Hornsby wears a Mapta on travel day. It's freaking amazing. I love it. Milton's clothes are absolutely ridiculous. She looks like she's wearing a costume. She looks like she's going on safari. It makes no sense in the situation. Daryl gets to wear his own clothes again. I love that. Um, how did the Commonwealth know to dress She-Ra, fake Stephanie, like the real Stephanie, who is Max. That blows my mind. My next holy crap moment is um, noticing fake elements about the Commonwealth. Maggie sees Hornsby's gilded, not gold, coin, and I think that helps her realize that they're fake, like they're not what they look like. And I noticed that Milton wears clip-on earrings, and that's just fake and weird. My third holy crap moment is that Max sleeps in a Murphy bed. That is so cool. I love it. All right, y'all. Uh, love y'all and the podcast. Thanks so much for everything. Bye. Thanks, Tiffany. So uh, off the top there, she mentions that she's emailed us millions of times. And in fact, she has, which is fantastic. But she was watching through all our back catalog for a long time and like just sending in her thoughts as it went on. And it was great. And it was super entertaining for me. And she reminded me of some stuff that I hadn't thought about in a very, very long time, but nice. she's now caught up and able to comment on current stuff, which is awesome. And first of all, the idea that she's sort of noticed that Max sleeps in a Murphy bed. I think that's just a great little detail yep. <laughs> that I like. I like Murphy beds. I think any bed could be a Murphy bed. You just have to lean it up against the wall when you get up in the morning. Perfect. Uh, why wouldn't you do that every morning, right? <laughs> Sometimes it can be uh, a little difficult, but uh, yeah, you could. I mean, any bed could be a Murphy bed. <laughs> if you try hard enough. That's like any car could be a convertible. If you try hard enough. Uh, that's right. Just be careful. Um, but the idea that, you know, the coin, the gold coin that Hornsby pulls out when he's talking to Maggie is just coded with a gold layer on the outside and it's not solid gold all the way through. You know, Jason, I can sometimes be kind of bad at picking up on metaphor uh, or symbolism, but this coin I feel like should have just jumped off the screen and been like, oh, look, shiny, valuable exterior with nothing good inside. And that is very much, I think, the feeling we're getting about the Commonwealth. 
Uh, yeah, I would, uh, I would say that. Absolutely. The, the best kinds of gilded coins are those chocolate coins that are covered in foil. Right. Those are the best. Take that off and then just eat the chocolate. Yeah. Cause you can't say it's nothing good inside. No, that's, uh, that's like good exterior and interior. Mm-hmm. But, uh, Hornsby's coin, not so much and Commonwealth, not so much. Yep. For sure. Mm-hmm. All right. Next we have a call from Kate in San Francisco. Hey, it's Kate in San Francisco. I just wanted to say quickly regarding Lydia's comment about some things aren't able to be fixed. I believe she was talking about things like relationships and maybe emotions that you can, that the Commonwealth can come in and fix like a wall, but they can't fix her relationship, for instance, with Carol. So anyway, that was what I thought. Um, Thanks for the podcast. Bye. Awesome. Thanks, Kate. So another thing I was kind of wondering about, or maybe we were wondering about in the recap is what the hell Lydia was talking about. And I think what Kate says makes some sense. Uh, Absolutely. You can rebuild a wall, you can fix a windmill, but sometimes the relationship between people cannot be repaired as, you know, indicated by Maggie and Negan, for example. Uh, yeah, sometimes, I mean, uh, a lot of things can uh, be made better with a little bit of space and time, right? So that that can help, uh, you know, spend some time apart, spend some time, uh, you know, mending yourself, and then you can mend a relationship after that. So it, sometimes that can happen. Not all the time, obviously. Some things are, sometimes there's irreconcilable differences, uh, which was a movie from the 80s, if I recall, with Drew Barrymore. Uh, she was becoming... Uh, she wanted to be emancipated from her parents. This was uh, shortly after um, Poltergeist. Poltergeist? E.T. <laughs> E.T., yes. E.T. that she was in. She was a kid at the time. Uh-huh. Anyway, uh, that's weird that I had that memory. But, uh, yeah, sometimes a relationship cannot be fixed, but sometimes it can be fixed. You just need a little uh, space and time, like Maggie and Negan. Like, their relationship's going to be just fine. Well, this is why Negan has disappeared for a while. He's going to come back and everything will be hunky-dory. Exactly. Yeah, or he'll have a brain transplant and he'll be somebody else. No, no, no. This isn't get that, along with. This isn't that kind of soap opera, Jason. <laughs> no, not quite. But. No, not yet. Uh, well, you know, I guess you're right. Sometimes, sometimes you can repair a relationship and whether it's space or time or both that you need or something else. Uh, yeah, maybe, maybe it can happen. Sometimes you can't fix an engine if you're inside the engine, right? Sometimes you just need to get out of the engine to be able to uh, fix it. Yeah. What are you doing spending so much time in engines? I don't know. Okay. You just are. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes, sometimes you're, you're in an engine and you just, uh, uh, you can't fix it. So you have to get out and you need a little bit of perspective. Sure. That's right? another thing that can help. Absolutely. Anyways, thank you, Kate, for that kind of trying to explain it to us because it, it certainly helps me anyways. Uh, moving right along, we got a call from Zarina. Hi guys, this is Zarina again from Bay Area. My opinion this episode is that it was one of the good ones. I enjoyed it very much. Here's what I think, and I want you guys to tell me what you think. I started thinking of Hornsby as Carol 5.0 for various reasons. As Hornsby is probably the one who truly recognizes Carol's talent for background leadership. Um, and I thought... He seemed to also do things for the greater good, whatever that means, uh, without regard to personal drama, actually. 
Yeah, Eugene's heart got broken, but hey, no one died. Everyone's safe, and who cares? We are in a post-apocalyptic world. Uh, romantic heartbreaks just don't seem important enough in the great scheme of things right now. I mean, seriously. So, after seeing this episode, I am rescinding my Carol reference. Here's why. Carol never done any of the, for the greater good things, to be praised for them. And... Um, Actually, quite the contrary, she hated herself for those things. She never uh, tried to suck up to anyone. She never actually enjoyed her killer modes and never hid behind doing something for the greater good. So despite us joking about Carol being a little girl exterminator, we all knew and know that she has a kind heart and feels things deeply and only goes rogue when any of her loved ones' lives are at stake. You know, so Hornsby has a, you know, contrary uh, motivation for doing what he's doing. And now I'm convinced and um, I want you guys to tell me what you think about that, that Hornsby is actually a prototype of uh, Lord Baelish, the little finger from Game of Thrones. Um, he's tactical. He's serving everyone only when it serves him. He's playing every war in every direction and, you know, master calculator. But all for what? Not to save any of the people that he cares about. No, but to gain a certain, um, you know, power over everybody. You know, be closer to power. Be acknowledged for it, you know. Uh, Other than that, thank you guys. Keep doing what you're doing. Bye. Thanks, Serena. So it comes down to the reasons that people do things, Jason. Carol does not revel in the destruction she causes, <laughs> and she doesn't do it for her own gain. She does it for actually for the greater good and what needs to be done, making hard decisions. And it seemed like Hornsby was doing that, but now not so much. He is doing it to gain power. Yes, he is. And that is very little fingery. It is. Yeah. What do you think about that uh, comparison that he's kind of like a mini little finger? <laughs> it, uh, like the pinky finger, uh, yeah. pinky little finger. Uh, it's something, it's a, it's a concept I hadn't considered and I think it's something that is compelling and I need to, uh, I'll need to think on it. Yeah, totally. But it's a, I think it's an apt comparison. I just, I'm not sure. I mean, that that's a defining characteristic of Littlefinger in Game of Thrones. You know, he's always scheming. He's always trying to better his own position over everything else, right? And that does really feel like Hornsby at this point. The only thing I'll say about Hornsby, though, is yes, he's doing all this. And he is, for whatever reason, he's trying to bring these communities in. And it very much seems like it is for his own benefit. Um He's also part of this underground society, right? That that Eugene kind of exposed a little bit yeah. or got into. And I don't know how that all fits into it. Is it because he can't be working for the Commonwealth and against the Commonwealth and for himself all at the same time. There's I I just don't know. So, you know, there's more to this story that is going to be revealed at some point. I don't think he's working I I much like uh, I'm trying to think of other uh, Game of Thrones characters. What was the eunuch's name? Um, 
the guy, the the unsullied guy. No, not the unsullied. the The guy that was at uh, uh, King's Landing. Uh, I don't know. Uh, anyway, his uh, his motivations were always uh, suspect. Like nobody understood what he was doing, but his entire motivation was for the good of the realm, mm-hmm. and it did not take into consideration the uh, uh, the good of the leadership of the realm. It was for the good of the realm. So he would do things regardless of whether it helped or hurt the uh, the leadership. So maybe. Hornsby, on the other hand, is doing things, regardless of what he does, it's for himself. It might help the Commonwealth. It might hurt the Commonwealth. At any given time, he might do things that will help the Commonwealth, or he might do things that will hurt the Commonwealth. But either way, it's going to benefit him Right, so the, imp- the impact on the Commonwealth is secondary, and his primary goal is his own self, right? Yep. And so on one hand, he's doing something to take them down. We don't know that, but if he is, it's, it's the primary purpose is that he gets something out of it and whatever he's doing, whatever his motivations are with the communities. And for right now, all we know is that he wants to run them or lead them. Um, that presumably raises his status at the Commonwealth as well. Yep. Um, his, his personal status, and that may help the Commonwealth. We don't know from what I know of our, you know, regular characters, anytime they show up somewhere, they tend to tear it apart. So, uh, if Hornsby brings them all in, that might be the case and that's not going to look so good on him, but you know, I think it's a good point. Whatever he does, it's for himself and it doesn't matter if some things hurt or some things help yep. others. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. All right, next we have an email from Ellie in Brisbane. I wonder how involved with the resistance Mercer is or is more uh, or is it more a reluctant connection due to his sister? Perhaps perhaps he is privy to a lot of things that are going on behind the scenes, but ultimately, as he said to Daryl this week, he has a role to play. I do also still have in the back of my mind that the gang is infiltrating the Commonwealth and everything we are seeing is part of a bigger plan, but I could be wrong. This week, it was pretty clear that Maggie is getting desperate, et cetera, uh, which I thought they depicted rather well. Yeah. So the whole idea of how deep into this really is Mercer is an interesting question too. Maybe his sister is really into it. Maybe Max is really down and uh, and he knows this, but it's his sister. So he doesn't want to expose her because he knows what will happen. Maybe he's going along with it a little bit, but... Again, he's so well liked, it seems, in the Commonwealth. Uh, it, it might be hard for him to actively work against them. I don't know. It's it, it would definitely be a depth to these characters that I wasn't sure we were going to get. Right? Often in situations like this, characters are black and white. They're either on one side or the other side, and there's not a lot of gray in the middle. But it does seem like maybe with the case of Mercer. There's an opportunity here for a guy who, to to play it like, okay, I know these people aren't great, but it's hard for me to work against them because look at what it's got me. Yeah, uh, I'm starting to think that, I'm starting to doubt whether or not he's working for the Rebel Alliance, and I'm starting to think that he might just be lawful neutral. You know, the regardless of uh, what the personal gain is, regardless of what whether it's right or it's wrong, it's the law. Yeah. Right, it's it's Judge Dredd. He's uh, it, he's just it doesn't matter. It it's the law. I you know I'm I'm not here to judge the law. I'm here to judge you about the law. 
you know, based on the law. So maybe he's just lawful neutral. But but if that was the case, wouldn't he uh, wouldn't he expose his sister if she was breaking the law? Not if he could convince her to obey the law. So that's the phase he's in right now, trying yeah. to turn her back, basically. Yeah. Okay. You know, you got to obey the law, uh, not, you know, do the right thing. That has nothing to do with it. It's obey the law, regardless of whether it is the right thing. Right. Right. Okay. That's also interesting, I, I really think, you know, that's, I'm, I'm starting to dig the whole, uh, whatever Mercer is. <laughs> plot line, you know, I whatever mean, he is, is he, is he, is he lawful? Well, maybe, you know, maybe he's like the, uh, that, like the eunuch I was talking about at, uh, uh, at King's Landing or Westeros or whatever the fuck, I forget all the places now. Uh, <laughs> that, Westeros is the whole land, right? King's the, Landing is the city. Okay. One thank of the you. cities. Yeah. No, that's good. That's good to know. Uh, what was my point that he's just, uh, for the good of the realm. Mm-hmm. Right for the good of the uh, for the good of the Commonwealth, regardless of who's in charge of the Commonwealth at any given moment, uh, because that doesn't matter. The Commonwealth is what's important. The leader of the Commonwealth is uh, transient, or at least could be transient. Yeah. Uh, at this point, it's not. It's more of a you know a, a kingdom, but. Uh, if it is transient, then the, uh, the, the Commonwealth li- will live on regardless of who's, uh, who's in charge. And he is for the good of the Commonwealth, uh, regardless. So maybe he's plotting against the leadership for the good of the Commonwealth. Sure. Well, listen, kind of along these lines, we have a call next from Daniel here who, tre- who speaks a little bit about Mercer. Uh, let's listen to that and, and then continue. Hey, Chris and Jason. Hey, going? It's Daniel from Sydney, Australia. Um, listen to your podcast for years and years, and I just want to thank you guys for everything that you do. Um, I've got to admit that when I see a new Walking Dead come out, I get more excited by the fact that it means you guys will have a new podcast out than what I do for the, sh- for the show. So thanks for everything you do. I just wanted to touch on something. You guys touched it on the, the recap, but... When Mercer was talking to Daryl and Mercer said to Daryl, oh, what did you do before this? And Daryl said, oh, it doesn't matter. There was a look that Mercer gave on his face. And I think this was a look of Daryl was a leader and they have no hierarchy where they're all one, where Mercer is treated lesser than everybody else because of what he used to do as a job. And I think that was a a little bit of a click in Mercer's brain that, hey, I don't need to be treated, you know, like just a cop if I've got good ideas and I've got all the community that cheers me. I'm I'm more than this and I don't need to be shoved into a little box. So I think that's going to come back as as a light bulb moment for Mercer. Anyway... Tell us what you think. Thanks to everything that you do, guys. Bye. Thanks, Daniel. So I, I started thinking about that too. And, you know, he's saying that Mercer is kind of pigeonholed into his role. But do we have any evidence, Jason, that he's actually sort of treated poorly? It, it, because it seems no. like he he's treated quite well in his position and he's well loved by the by the community, at least, anyways. He's respected, and that's what he wants. 
so I, I think I think he is treated well. I don't think he might be pigeonholed, uh, but he's treated with respect. I think people, uh, you know, go out of their way to not piss him off. Yeah, and I just think like if he does have a desire to be something more than he is. I don't know that we've really seen that yet. And if he's being, you know, told, no, this is your job, you you don't get to participate in any other way. I mean, sure, that's going back to Tommy, same thing, right? Like they're forcing him into this job that he doesn't want to do, and that's not a good way to make people happy. So Mercer could be in a similar situation, but I don't know that we've really seen that on screen yet. He seems to, I mean, he's the leader of the military. It, presumably there's no higher military position in this community. So that's a pretty high up important position. It just might not be right for him. And if he doesn't want to do that and he's being forced to, yeah, that breeds a certain amount of discontent for sure. Yeah. Well, not only that, he's the leader of the police too, which is the same thing. Having the, the military yeah. is the police, which is scary in itself. Right. Yeah, you do need different uh, organizations there, I would think. Well, yeah, if, if you're, uh, you know, if you're, I don't want to belittle the police or the military, but if, uh, if your only tool is a hammer, everything starts to look like a nail. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Anyways, I, the more we talk about it, I think Mercer is becoming one of the more interesting characters here. And it'll be, it'll be exciting to see how it all kind of plays out and, which way, which side of the fence he falls down on, or if it's somewhere in between. And uh, um, it's going to be hopefully really good. I agree. And lead up to this amazing finale I have in my mind that I don't even understand yet. Well, it's, uh, you know, it, it hasn't happened yet. So therefore it uh, it is both perfect and awful all at the same time. It's, it's Schrodinger's family. Is it Schrodinger? No. It's Schrodinger's cat box experiment. Right. But in this case- TV finale. It's Schrodinger's television show. Yeah. It's, there you it's go. Schrodinger's television show box. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. It's important to know that uh, the Schrodinger's cat box experiment was uh, a thought experiment. Of course. He didn't actually fucking kill cats. I mean, he might have put one in a box, but. Uh, no, because they'd have to put in something that would kill it uh, without anybody knowing when that happened. So at any given time, uh, you know, was the cat alive or dead? Uh, you it was neither or both until you opened the box. When did this guy live? Do you know? I have no idea. Okay. Because there was probably a time when killing a cat wasn't that big a deal, but I I don't know. Yeah, or, I, I or, don't think he did. It was, a, it was a thought experiment. It was like Einstein working on uh, general relativity. You know, he didn't send a spaceship into space to do no. his experiment. He was just thinking about, well, what if I did this? And so he would get older. No, we'd get older and he wouldn't. Anyway. I'm starting to think like Einstein. Right. <laughs> Einstein, <laughs> smart guy. All right. One uh, final email here, and it comes from Jen in California. Jen says, this episode continues to foster a question I've had since the beginning of our introduction to the Commonwealth. How in the world are they operating like a normal community? I just don't understand how they have so much in regards to food that's not even, that's not just stuff from cans and the clothes and some of the technology. I feel like the opium farm didn't provide answers, only more questions. And when you guys were debating about how long the paper was running, it just made me think it has to have been a while because these people here seem soft. 
like they've almost forgotten what it's like to live on the outside. Is it just me? Am I the only one who cares about how they're able to keep going? What do you think, Jason? Is it sheer numbers? Like there's 50,000 of them, so it just kind of feels like regular life? It could be. I mean, with 50,000 people, you have some people that are police and some people plant potatoes. Yeah. And uh, you can, you know, if we've learned anything from the Martian, you can live off of potatoes for quite some time. So uh, I love potatoes. They're great. So maybe there's people growing potatoes. There's people uh, making clothes. Maybe they're going out and finding uh, old textile factories and spinning them up. Uh, you know, maybe Eugene could get a, an ammunition factory up and running again. You know, he's other than writing a fucking novel, why don't they give Eugene a job? Right? Eugene doesn't have a job. He's letting him write a novel. That's a really good point, actually. Like, Daryl has a job. Carol's working in the bakery. Eugene doesn't have a, he doesn't even have a job. He doesn't have a job. He lives in a hole. That's fine. Is his job science fiction writer? Is his, is his job uh, broody, brooding amateur sleuth? Does he live in a hole? Where does he live? He has an apartment. He has an apartment, but everybody has an apartment. Yeah. It seemed like a hole. He, no, uh, Daryl and, and uh, Judith were in the crappy place. I think he had a nice place. Anyways, Carol maybe. Does Carol have a job? The yeah, she's worked in the bakery. Remember? Oh, okay. She works. What about uh, Ezekiel? Does he have a job? Uh, we haven't seen. Yeah, zookeeper. He was no, running. He was the petting zoo. Yeah, running okay. the petting zoo guy. Yeah. So you know, similar to what that's what he did before. But Eugene, I I think you're right. I don't think we've seen him do anything other than write that novel. So maybe they need writers. You know, authors. They probably don't. I don't. Well, I do. I yes. need writers. Yes, but I think from a, a society of fifty thousand people. Uh, you know, with the sheer volume of books out there today, uh, you know, really, do we need another one more than we need more potatoes? I don't know. Yeah. Good question. Good question. I don't know. Maybe we're just, I mean, Rosita's a, a cop or a, a soldier and Daryl too. So what was Jerry? We haven't, we haven't seen what Jerry's doing, but we've barely seen Jerry. So, uh, Jerry probably has a job. He probably does. Yeah. He probably does. Interesting. I wonder. Eugene's got to be doing something. Anyway, what was my point before we got side railed on uh, Eugene's job? I don't know. Just how the Commonwealth continues to to operate. It feels like it's oh. too, I think Jen is saying it feels like it's just too easy. You know, they're just living life. I think they have farmers. Yeah. You know, uh, they probably have farmers. They have ranchers. They have, uh, uh, you know, people that are making clothing, uh, all the things that you want. People that are <laughs> churning ice cream. I'm not sure how that job got started but they need ice cream so they need ice cream churners mm -hmm. uh they you know who knows yeah they've got bricklayers they've got people building stuff they've got carpenters they've they have somebody doing the stuff you need i guess and it just yeah, it's like all slam poetry along. right <laughs> you <laughs> <Why> know <not? laughs> gotta have a good arts program sure you know you need violinists and uh, what happened to what's his name from uh uh, that played the violin. That was a music teacher. That was in uh, the Harry Potter movie. Oh yeah, he's uh, that guy, um, Luke. Luke, you're right. He was hanging out at Oceanside, I think, but we haven't seen him in a while, and that's a bummer because the whole side plot of him flirting with Jules. Remember, I th I yeah. really enjoyed all that stuff. I'd like to see more of that. I hope they didn't shit can that guy. I mean, not not a lot of it, but you know, bring him back for something. Yeah. Anyway. They need, they need music teachers, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. So. Bring them in. Probably doing that. Well, it's a good question, Jen, but uh, I think it also at the same time, you just have to 
think, well, this is a giant community. It's humming along. They have some of the comforts of life and it just kind of all works because it's going to be pretty hard to really dig into how the Commonwealth functions, <laughs> I think, with the remaining episodes that we have. Yeah. And if I've learned anything over the last couple of years, we need, uh, they need a lot of uh, Uber Eats drivers. Yeah, they do. A lot of food delivery people. Yeah, I would think so. Yeah. All right. That is it for our feedback this week. Thank you so much to everyone that called or wrote in. It is all wonderful stuff. Uh, stay tuned at the end for a quick after hours where we revisit Jason from Los Angeles's call about uh, something. And it has to do with the finale and comic book stuff and uh, spinoffs and things like that. So uh, stick around if you want to hear that. It's a little, you know, potentially spoilery, but I'll mention that again as we get into it. Before that, though, uh, our Patreon prize of Palooza will continue uh, next time, next when, uh, when we recap the next episode of the show. The prize for that is a bunch of stuff, actually. The ori an original Talking Dead podcast shirt, one of the first shirts we ever made for this here podcast. Unworn. Still, unworn, yeah. I still have a few of them sitting around. And so they're they're pretty hard to come by these days. It just says the Talking Dead in white letters on a black shirt. It's pretty awesome. Nice. There is a pack of Walking Dead stickers. Fun stuff. Everyone likes stickers. Big pile of stickers. Gotta love it. Big pile of stickers. Yeah. There's a Whisperer pop socket. If you're a pop socket kind of person, this one has a picture of, uh, is it alpha on it? A whisperer. Anyway, someone wearing a whisperer mask. What the flying Sam Hill is a pop socket. I know you don't get out much, Jason, but it's a pop socket. It's one of those things that you stick on the back of your phone case and then it pops in and out and it's kind of like a handle almost. Oh, for I didn't phone. know what they were called. My wife has one of those. I was thinking about getting one for the back of my phone, but, uh, I don't think it would work. Okay. Well. Whisperer pop socket included in this. So that's kind of fun. And then there's an, uh, you know, a official, uh, walking dead supply drop prop replica of a string bracelet featured in episode one of season 10. I don't, that's a hell of a sentence and I don't understand it. I think I didn't quite follow it. <laughs> okay. So in one of the walking dead supply drops, they provided a prop replica from a like string bracelet that was in season 10, episode one. Wasn't it when Carol and Daryl were kind of joking around about uh, friendship bracelets? Is that oh, what yeah. it was? I didn't go back to check it, but I've had it sitting around for a while and soon it can be yours if uh, you are this next week's winner on the Patreon prize of Palooza. So um, get excited about that as you should. Those are all the things in the prize pack this week. And I'm looking forward to finding a way to give it away to somebody. Yeah, me too. If you want to get in on that, potentially visit patreon.com slash the talking dead to become a patron and be part of our weekly draw for that prize pack or any of the future ones that are coming up. All right. That is it for this uh, podcast. The next episode of the walking dead is called warlords. It airs on, uh, Sunday night, I guess it's already out on AMC plus, so you may have seen it, but, uh, that'll be the next one. We are recapping on this upcoming Monday. And if you wanted to do a title read by all means, warlords is the title. Could probably do something fun with that. 
In the meantime, if you want to get in touch, visit the website at TalkingDeadPodcast.com and click on Send Voicemail at the top to record a message. You can also find us on Twitter at TalkingDead or send email to TalkingDeadPodcast at gmail.com. That's going to do it. Thanks so much, everyone. Until next time, my name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks for listening. Bye. Ah, hello. I'm sorry I didn't see you there. Please, come in. Chris and Jason have just popped off to change into something a little more comfortable. You know what those boys are like. Please, sit down. Help yourself to a drink. And welcome to the Talking Dead After Hours. All right, everyone, welcome to the After Hours. This is the segment of the show where we talk about sometimes random stuff, uh, sometimes Walking Dead related, sometimes not. Today, I'm going to play the rest of a call from listener Jason, who is chatting about Walking Dead spinoffs, how they might relate to the finale of The Walking Dead. And then I have a comment to make about the comics. So... Most of it is speculative, but it could be considered a little bit spoilery. That's why we're doing it here in the after hours. So are you ready, Mr. Miles? Uh, yeah, give me... Yeah, I'm ready. Okay, go. Okay, great. Here we go. This is Jason. But the last thing I wanted to throw at you guys, we've been talking about how they keep ruining and announcing spinoffs. Let me throw this at you. What if they're announcing like the Maggie and Negan spinoff and whatever as a huge troll, as a huge way to throw us off, a huge red herring. And those shows might not even exist. And it's actually genius marketing. And then we get those surprise deaths of our lives. I mean, that's what I'd like to see happen. Whether that does happen or not, you know, it probably won't because this is AMC. It was a bit quiet. Could you hear that, Jason? I did. Okay. What he's proposing is that the spinoffs at least the Maggie and Negan spinoff is a troll job and it's not actually happening, but they're announcing it to sort of distract us to the fact that these characters may actually not survive the walking dead. And this is a fake show that doesn't exist. That is very risky to do something like that. Well, the thing that can is, backfire easily. Yeah. Here's the thing. We know that tales of the walking dead is a real show because it's filming. I mean, unless unless all that's fake, too. But we've seen a lot of information about actual filming it, casting news, things like that. Now, Tales is one thing because it doesn't involve uh, current characters or if it does, it could be dropped anywhere in, in the timeline. So if there's a there's if there's an episode about Glenn like that works because it takes place before Glenn was killed on the main show. Right. So yep. Tales works fine. The Daryl and Carol show, which has been announced forever. Um, that thing is not filming yet. We don't know anything about it, so maybe it's not real. And the me, me, Megan, the Negan and Maggie show, same deal. Maybe it's not real and they're just trying to throw us off. Megan and Nagy? Megan and Nagy. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Not a bad name. (laughs) No. So before I say anything else, Jason, risky for sure. Do you think possible in any universe? Ah, uh, well, in the multiverse, yes. In this universe, no. <laughs> no, it's just not something they would do. 
I, I really don't think so. I don't think that, uh, uh, yeah, I don't think that they would do something like that. And it's too, it's, it's too provably false, right? Uh, you know, how long do they go without announcing, uh, additional cast or, uh, writers or showrunner or, uh, you know, if there's no production company being spun up to deal with it, uh, it's just, there's a, there's a lot that needs to not happen for it to be, uh, you know, fake. Yeah. I mean, that said, not a lot of info has come out about the Daryl and Carol show, right? Like the title or the characters involved is there. I'd have to check if we have a showrunner or anything like that. But, and I mean, maybe that's because those two are still filming the current show. So they haven't been able to make a lot of progress because the, the, the principal actors are busy. I don't know, but it does feel really unlikely. As, uh, uh, Howard Cosell used to say, the possibility exists. However, the probability does not. Okay. Well, what if I told you this, Jason? You remember the fact that this show is based on a comic book? Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> I recall that. Yes. Yes. The comic ended rather abruptly. Uh, it ended, I think it was issue 192 or 193, which is a weird number to end on, right? Um, and it came out of nowhere. Big surprise to everybody. And to keep that a surprise from everyone, they actually put out cover images for issue 194, 195, 196. That's, a, that's something that Image Comics did and Kirkman did. You, you know, you'd get the cover images for upcoming issues of the comic early. Kind of a way of marketing, a way of building hype, whatever, because the covers may or may not have depicted something, you know, directly from that issue of the comic or not, but they were fun to look at. So Kirkman decided to end it all, but they continued to make covers into the future. So no one would be like, Hey, wait a minute. There's no cover for the next issue. What's going on? Right. Well, that thought occurred to me, but, uh, the thought that occurred to me was that Kirkman's not directly involved in this anymore. Right. So. You can't believe anything that fucking Kirkman says. Mm-hmm. So if Kirkman announced it, I absolutely would believe it's a lie. Absolutely, totally, completely untrue. I would not have believed it for a second. But he's not directly involved in the show anymore. Right. So that's why I think that it would be uh, improbable that this would be fake. So you mean uh, if Kirkman announced the spinoffs himself? Yes. Yeah, if okay. Kirkman was involved in the show, if he was the showrunner, head writer, or still uh, directly involved uh some way uh, involved in the marketing, at least, then uh, I believe that this would be untrue. But since he's not involved, I don't necessarily believe this to be uh, false information. Right. The, the the cover art thing is totally up his alley. It's right in his wheelhouse. It's within character. Uh, it's absolutely a thing that he would do. You know, an ending in uh, 193, Makes sense because you want to fucking throw a wrench in the thing. You don't want to end at 200 all of a sudden. Right. Because uh, then everybody's expecting the ending. But you ended 193 uh, and you have cover art for 194. Then it comes out of left field. Everybody goes, what just happened? And that's what he wants. Right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. But again, I don't think that the probability is there. Uh, and especially since Kirkman's not involved in the show. 
Yeah, I hear you. It just, it feels like it would be a weird connection if they actually did this, right? The comic ended surprisingly and they put out fake covers. The TV show is not, the ending's not a surprise, but the content of it will be because they're putting out fake uh, spinoff shows. It's so just, is there is there a final third of the show in that case? You know, if they're going to start going down that road, maybe uh, maybe this block of episodes that we're watching right now is the end. Oh my God, and there's only four more? <laughs> <laughs> that, that'll be too much for me to take, if that's the case. If we just get to the, four, the 16th episode here, and that's it, I don't know if I can handle that, man. Yeah, see, that's the thing. Right. Well, anyways, I think it was an interesting kind of parallel... Uh, and you know, Jason in Los Angeles's idea that this was all fake made me think of the comic thing. And I'm like, oh my God, this actually adds some credibility to that idea. But ultimately, no, I don't think they're doing that. They're just making spinoff shows because they want to make the money, Jason, and spinoff shows will make some money. Yeah. No, they want the money and the, these things. Yeah. Like you say, they'll, uh, they'll make some money. So you know, spin things off, you know, having, uh, uh, you know, starting from scratch is, uh, always less preferable than, uh, you know, reusing a established IP. Absolutely. So that's what they're doing. Anyways, interesting thought. And, uh, that is that. All right. That's it, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye now.